Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive industry and its supporting ecosystem and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, or in this case, drive with the Game Changers, this is the right place because this is where the best run. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from Mary Barra, the CEO of GM. Uh, let's see what we've got here. She says, my definition of innovative is providing value to the customer. I think that should be the mantra for all industries. So what are we talking about today? We have a slightly different topic today. I think you're going to love it. SAP is sponsoring in just a couple weeks in Detroit, the 2018 Best Practices for Automotive Conference. It is a place where people in automotive and ancillary industries are going to get together to celebrate innovation. That's why I picked that quote. There'll be case studies from leading automotive companies that are pardon the pun, driving results in today's complex business environment. Yes, it's complex for every industry, but maybe mostly perhaps for automotive. So questions on the table that may or may not be answered at the event are what is the future of mobility? How does that future, which could be five minutes after we're off the air today, how does it impact companies and cities and business and leisure and lifestyles? We've got three panelists today who are all, I'm going to just say this, immersed and invested in the future of automotive they are. You'll meet them in a minute. They're going to share their insights on the conference, but beyond that, we're going to talk about what is happening with the industry. So we're titling this episode, Driving Change, The Automotive Industry Fights Back. We're going to find out what they're fighting, how they're fighting back, and how hard the fight is going to be as they drive change and innovation. So welcome. Very happy to have you on board here. And let me tell you who my three panelists are. We have a lot to talk about. First up, in just a moment, I'm welcoming back Chris Dambola, Global Head of Market Development for Automotive at Thomson Reuters Tax and Accounting. Very happy to have him. A newcomer is next around the table, John Grant. He is the founder and managing partner of MTG Partners. Let me spell that. That for you, E M T E E G E E, all together with a capital E for M, T for T, and G for G. And he'll tell us a little bit about what his company does, and he's going to be participating in the conference. And rounding out the panel, we couldn't do the show without Ellen Sasson. She's an automotive industry advisor at SAP. And a shout out to Miranda Labate and Judy Cubis at SAP who helped put this together. We're so excited to have our panelists here. So let's start out with the quote. Chris Dambola has sent me a quote from, this is beautiful in so many ways. The song is Think, performed by the Blues Brothers, but the lyrics were written by Aretha Franklin and Tom White. I didn't know the backstory, Chris. I looked it up. We all know Aretha Franklin passed away this past Thursday, August 16th, 2018. I didn't know that Ted Ted White, it's not Tom White, excuse me. Ted White was her first husband at the time. Uh, The song was written with him and allegedly written about him, and it became a feminist anthem, and they got divorced the next year. What can I tell you? Music has a very powerful impact. Here's the quote. 
people walking around every day playing games, taking scores, trying to make other people lose their minds. Well, be careful. You're going to lose yours. Oh, think, think. Think about what you're trying to do to me. Yeah, think, think, think. Let your mind go. Let yourself be free. Chris, I think I know the song. I'm not going to sing it. How are you, Chris? I'm well, Bonnie. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm fine. Good morning. We've never had a quote from an Aretha Franklin song. So tell me, we're talking automotive. We're talking exciting times, difficult times, questionable times for automotive. And you picked a song called Think. I, we could have just entitled the show Think, Chris, honestly. Think, automotive, think. So tell me how you picked this particular quote for our show today. Sure, sure. Well, Bonnie, first, thanks for, for having me back. It's, it's great to be back on the show. Thank so you. So enjoyable last time. Um, Thank you. You know, for the quote, I mean, obviously, I, I had to pick an Aretha Franklin song. I just yes. had to pay, pay tribute with the event coming up in Detroit, Motown. It was just, it was too perfect. Um, it, it is. For an opportunity to pay homage. Um, for the song in particular, I'm sure there could be critics that it's a bit of a stretch, and, and maybe it is because it's such a relationship-focused song, but... At the same time, um, you know, there's there's so much going on, and there are so many games being played, and and different technologies, and knowing what's real or not, uh, what competitors are even real or not. You know, um, there's a, a webcast the other day that SAP hosted with General Motors talking about emerging technologies, and they discussed a lot about competitors like Tesla and and even Apple and Dyson, and you know, where where do you put your mind to know? what the competitive landscape even looks like. And it, it's easy to get lost in that. So you got to kind of think about it and, and really stay true to, to your own compass uh, and your own goals, whether that's, uh, you know, the quote from GM, as you mentioned, about innovation uh, yes. for, the, for the customer or, or what have you. Thank you. And, and Chris, question, is, is the industry in trouble? Is it exciting times? Is it, are they challenging times we're in? Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit in a few minutes with you and John and Ellen about what you're looking forward to seeing and learning and hearing at the event. We're also going to be talking about your points of view on what's happening in the industry. But just a quick over from, view from you. I introduced the show as Driving Change, Automotive Industry Fights Back. Who's fighting? What are they fighting? What are they fighting back at or for? Can you just encapsulate that for me, please, Chris? Yeah, it, it, it might be a bit of a cop-out, but I think everyone is fighting on so many different fronts. They're fighting for relevancy. Um, they're fighting for change. They're fighting for um, you know global markets. Uh, they're fighting for suppliers. They're fighting for emerging tech. Um, you know, there, there's so many different battlegrounds that they're fighting on. It's, it's hard to give a, a concise answer on that, mm -hmm. but it, for sure they're, they're fighting, right? And I think, uh, you know, early, earlier on in your question, you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, what, uh, what, what are they about the fight? Um, what are they fighting for? Um, you know, I think, I think, or, or where are they at in the fight? I think I think it depends mm -hmm. whether or not it's exciting or whether it's a good fight or a bad fight or what's going to happen. You know, when you look maybe 10 years from now back at, at what happened, I think different companies are going to find themselves in different places. But in terms of the times we live in, I don't think there's ever been a more exciting time for, for business and, and especially for the automotive industry because there's such an opportunity to reinvent or to expand or to explore 
and there's kind of no wrong answer at the moment. So mm-hmm. that, that freedom is, is exhilarating. There you go. And you picked up the word freedom right from the song. See, it wasn't a stretch at all, Chris. It was very good, actually. Thank you. I knew you were going to circle that around, circle around the wagons. There's so many metaphors and and silly comparisons we could do when we're talking about cars, mobility, automotive. Thank you, Chris. And and I want to say I appreciate your tweet a little while ago. You said excited to be back on SAP radio this morning. Thank you. We're excited to have you back. Great quote, by the way. And now we're happy to welcome a new panelist, John Grant at MTG Partners. And he has sent me a two-word quote. This one will go down in history. It was supposedly stated in the year 1562 by Michelangelo, the mostly self-taught Italian sculptor, painter, architect, and poet. And he was 87 years old at the time, considered the greatest living artist during his lifetime and one of the greatest living artists of all times. Here's the quote. I will say it in, I think this is Latin, John, and then I'll let you give the translation. I'll try not to mess this up. Ancora Impato. John Grant, welcome. How did I do? Thanks. Great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, uh, one of my favorites from Michelangelo, it, it, it speaks to being a lifelong learner. It's, uh, it translates roughly to, and still I am learning. He said it at 87 years old, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but. By today's standards, is a long life in in the 16th century, uh, an enormously long and accomplished life. I mean, this is after he had mastered sculpture, architecture, painting, and poetry. Uh, I just think that the the quote displays a degree of humility that we all need to adopt, and in and particularly relevant in today's discussion with uh, innovation and uh, new products and and the evolution of the auto industry and. And what we all find ourselves in when we when we interact with a, a vehicle, especially a, a new model, is just this uh, this willingness to learn because this technology uh, that they present the consumer, uh, that the mm-hmm. autos present the consumer, is is not always intuitive. It's not always easy. Um, and uh, but the more willingness to learn, the more willingness to to embrace. Uh, I think the more value you get out of out of the product. Uh, and so I think the challenge for the auto industry moving forward is going to be um, how to make this more intuitive and, 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 and ease uh, consumers into uh, 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 some of these innovative products that, they, that they've developed. Very interesting, John. I, I, I like the way you interpreted that. I'm going to add another interpretation to that. Let's go back to my opening quote from Mary Barra. My definition of innovative is providing value to the customer. And if the automotive industry were to hold up the mirror and say, how do we learn what the customer values? That's another way of looking at it, right? I am still learning. So the automotive industry can be humble and say, I'm still learning what the customer needs. And frankly, I don't know if the customer knows what they really want. What do you think, John? Well, yeah, and I think it goes back to the uh, the question you asked, Chris. Uh, you know, this this fight for future direction. Yes. Uh, I, I I don't know about fight. I I would I would certainly call it a race, and it's okay. it's a race for what 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 is the future direction of the of the industry? What does the yes. consumer want? We've heard so much about autonomous. We've heard so much about ride sharing. Is that what the consumer wants? You know, ten fifteen years ago, we were debating about which what's the the technology we would use to uh, uh, move the vehicle, whether that's the uh, internal combustion engine or whether that's battery or whether that's hydrogen. Um, the jury is still out on that. And 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 now when we talk about different modes 
um, and, and, and in today's conversation of, of autonomous, uh, is that what the consumer wants? I think the jury's still out, and I think we, the quicker we center on a solution, uh, uh, the more satisfying, uh, the, the easier it will be for the auto industry to, to determine uh, what are the needs of the consumer. Thank you very much. Very insightful. I like the way you defined, you don't know if they're fighting back, but they're trying to drive change. There's so many layers to the conversation. Thank you, John, and welcome. And in a few minutes, we'll find out what you do and what your company's all about and what you're looking forward to at Best Practices for Automotive. And waiting patiently is Ellen Sassone, and Ellen has sent us a quote. Ellen, pronounce the name of this Greek philosopher I'm quoting here. I still don't know how to pronounce his name. What do you say? It's actually Roman. It's Roman. Clintus. Okay. Clenthus. Clenthus. Okay. I see the okay. C L E A N like clean T H E S. I I got here. Um, I googled him in three thirty B C to two thirty B C. We're counting counting backwards, not forwards in those days. They say he was a Greek Stoic philosopher and a successor to Zeno of Citium at the second head of the Stoic school in Athens. So they define him as Greek, but who's who's counting? Anyway, here is the quote. This is very, uh, very cerebral, so I want everybody to listen. You don't have to take notes. There won't be a pop quiz after, but this is what Ellen has sent us. The fates guide the person who accepts them and hinder the person who resists them. Interesting quote. Ellen Sasson, welcome back. How have you been? Good. And I, you may be right about the Greek. I, I just know that Stoicism is kind of my new philosophy, and I'm just passionate about learning about it. And that quote comes from a guy named Ryan Holiday, who's written like three books now on Stoicism. And if you study it, and I thought it was Roman, but I guess it's earlier than Roman. I guess it's Greek. A lot of um, like winning coaches and leaders have, a, have subscribed to the idea that Seneca was really, I think, the father of Stoicism. But it's this idea that like whatever lands in front of you, that's what you have to deal with. And as you're working your way through it, you're, in a, you're creating something new. So I, I thought it was very relevant for, for the transition that's going on in the auto industry. It, it definitely is, Ellen. And I'm thinking of the fates. That we've been, I've been talking with your co-panelists here, Chris and John, about is the auto industry fighting? What are they fighting back? John says it's not fighting as much as driving. I've got my quote from Mary Barrett, GM, about innovation and always learning what in the world does a customer want? Do we even know what we want? And John addressed that so wonderfully a moment ago. So are the fates... I don't know, can we define the fates? Are the fates guiding? Is there a hand guiding the future of automotive? And Ellen, are they fighting back? Are you fighting and what are you fighting? Give me a couple of, couple of answers here. Well, I, I, to me, the fates in this, this discussion are new entrants into the industry. You know, and especially, I would argue, technology has changed everything, right? Cheap compute power, cloud computing, network, everything has made it possible to do things that we never could have done even 10 years ago. Like, if you just look at Uber, it's the start in 2009. It's nine years old. And now I would argue it's ubiquitous, right? Everybody, most people know that's an option when they're somewhere and they need a ride. So, so what am I trying to say? That the fates have guided, in my view, change, right? It, whether yes. those are obviously human-created innovations, but they're coming faster all the time. 
Thank you very much. And I know you sent me some notes about Uber and you said you love Uber. You meet nice people and you think you're thinking like a millennial. You're not sure you need to own a car anymore. I thought that was very, very interesting. I'm having a battle with an extended warranty on my sports car right now, Alan. They talked me into a two year extended warranty and it was not cheap because they said you never know a convertible might break. Well, a part of the convertible snapped off internal. It still works. And they now tell me it's not covered because it's cut cosmetic and it's going to cost me $1,200 to replace a piece of plastic out of pocket. So I don't know if the fates are intervening or not, but I'm not a happy camper. Got to go back to the company that sold me the warranty and say, hello, this is not going to happen this way. So anyway, yeah, so car ownership certainly is uh, very interesting. I'm a champion of owning my own car. You know that, Ellen. You've been on enough shows with me, but it does get difficult from time to time. Let's circle around the table. Chris Dambola is waiting, waiting eagerly to tell me three things, actually four things. Number one, where are you calling from? Chris. Number two, what is your favorite drink in the whole wide world? We call that what's in your cup today, and it doesn't literally have to be what's in your cup. Number three, what are you excited about going to Detroit? I know you're very, very much anticipating the best practices for automotive, which is our third annual one. And number four, what's new with you at Thomson Reuters? I know that's a huge homework assignment, but do your best. Chris, talk to me. Sure. So uh, try and remember all four. So I'm calling today from Cranford, New Jersey. Um, it's just outside of my office in Hoboken, which is just across from the river from New York, so maybe a half hour out of New York City. Um, in my cup today, um, it's a, a, a drink that I, I stumbled upon about a month ago when I was with my wife and daughter at Whole Foods, and we, we stumbled upon this, this woman who... <sighs> Unfortunately, was was shrouded in a, a one piece watermelon unitard thing. Um, <laughs> You're hurting my eyes, Chris. You're hurting my eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it hurt ours too, which is why we purchased the bottle from her because we we just felt bad that that the company would put her through that. But uh, it ended up being delicious. It's called uh, watermelon water, and the website is is just that with no vowels. So WTRM. LNWTR.com. Um, yeah, I got away from coconut water a couple years ago when all the stories about mold in the containers were coming out. Uh, mm-hmm. It seems like a nice, uh, exhilarating uh, alternative. Some, it's, it's, they can't drink too much of it, but uh, maybe like I'm on their cup. website now. The bottle is tall. It's got a red liquid in it. The, the, the picture on the bottle shows the sides of the watermelon rind. So there's two green lines. It says deliciously hydrating. Uh, it says we grow WTR with a trademark WTR. Line one, MLN, next line, WTR. It says cold pressured juiced watermelon. What clever packaging, Chris. Right. This is really cool. They've got, they're in InStyle, Fast Company, Daily Burn, Muscle and Fitness. Uh, they got an award for best packaging design. Wow. Really, really cool. So thank you very much. That's a new drink. And you know, after about 5,000 uh, drink stories for me in the past seven years, it takes a lot to top what I've already gotten. You did it. You, you have the new drink award for today. Let's see what John and Ellen come up with. What's, what are you excited about going to Detroit in September? Chris? Yeah, I mean, uh, what I'm excited about for this conference, right, it's a best practices conference, and it covers a lot of ground. I think what I'm excited about is because of how fast technology is moving, um, you know, I think, I think in large part the industry has 
gotten over the the skeptics and and you know people are really trying to embrace it and you know they're trying to be cautious with what's more real than than not right if you look at like the gartner curve of technologies or or you know their their emerging tech trends they always try and highlight which ones are maybe a couple years out versus what's actually now and and i think the automotive automotive industry is looking at both applications for now and and investments for the future and i'm excited to hear the best practices that are becoming real, right? What are the things that we've been talking about that we can start putting into practice? How are people using things like blockchain and AI that for a while have been mysterious and now the the, the public generally knows what they are, but still not quite how to use them. Uh, I'm excited to see that really take shape. Thank you very much. And I know in your notes you said you're a, are you, you consider yourself a techie nerd, Chris? Is that part of the reason you're so excited to go? A little bit, yeah, yeah. Um. The secret's out. <laughs> you put it in yeah, the notes, I'm yeah, going to talk no, about it, you know that. Watching Star Trek as a kid and, and seeing, you know, uh, things materialize and just doors open and, and uh, beaming up and all of that. Uh, you know, seeing some of those things come uh, come into the real world. It's exciting. Thank you very much. Glad you're excited. And I think a little birdie told me I might be doing some remote interviews this year again for the third year. Me in Durham and all of you in Detroit. And uh, maybe you and I will get a chance to speak and get some sound bites from you. That would okay, be fun. Fantastic. So get on the list. Ellen's organizing it. There's a little insider tip for you. And now, thank you, Chris. Let's turn to John Grant. John, you know what the assignment is here. I want to know where you are in the world. Please love to know your favorite drink. Anything that really gets you excited and energizes you or just makes you happy. Uh, and we like to know what you're looking forward to at the best practices for automotive event next month in Detroit. And tell me, what is MTG Partner? So all of the above. John Grant, up to you. Go ahead. Well, I'm, I'm located just north of Detroit, so it won't be a long, long tra- trip for me. Um, I'm, I'm in the center of the auto industry. And uh, looking forward to, uh, you know, catching up with colleagues and, and, and former colleagues. I, I worked 25 years for General Motors and um, am looking forward to, to really getting back down uh, to, to uh, catch up with uh, old friends and, 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 and uh, find out what the future direction of the auto industry is. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd love to give you an answer to a drink that, that you know, was, was more hard than soft, but uh, my, <laughs> those that know me know that Diet Pepsi is the go-to. Okay. I've, um, I've uh, rationalized in my mind that it's, it's, uh, it's a good habit to have now that it's aspartame-free. Uh, I think yes. that's fooling myself, but it's a, it's a rationalization that works for me, and it's my way of getting uh, the daily dose of caffeine. So uh, I'm I'm thoroughly uh, I wouldn't say addicted, but I thoroughly enjoy a good can of Diet Pepsi. I have one sitting in front of me right now. Well, you're hydrated um, and happy and caffeinated. What is there anything always. better than that, John? No. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. Absolutely. That's fine. We haven't had anybody talk about just what loving Pepsi in a long, long time. So that is actually a very fresh drink for us here on Game Changer. So I'm very happy to hear it. Now tell me, M-T-G-E-M-T-E-E-G-E. I'm assuming these are initials and I'm assuming you're the G for G-E-E. What is your company? Yeah, it's, it's a, a consultancy that was, uh, that it's really a post-career consultancy. Uh, was fortunate enough to have three partners, uh, willing to go along for the ride and, and we specialize in change management, learning and development. 
and we uh, offer our clients uh, uh, the ability to help their employees really manage change. And a lot of that is, comes, comes about through training, um, but a lot of that is, is also changing mindset. Uh, we, I spent the last uh, five, six years of my career man, doing performing change management and founding the change management function at, at our division up at CCA and General Motors, and uh, specifically dealing with SAP and, and putting in these large-scale systems changes um, that replaced 40-, 50-year-old legacy systems and, and managing the people through that change and, it, you know, it's a struggle. It's a generational struggle, but yeah. it's also uh, uh, a technological struggle and, and, and helping people get to that next level and, and knowing what to do in their next job, in their future job. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a very systematic approach. And so that's, we, we offer that service to uh, uh, our clients across uh, the upper Midwest. Thank you, John. And I'm I'm going a little bit out of order here, but I know in your notes, your second discussion statement you send me, and I'm going to quote you here because it's so apropos to what you just said. You say, change is savage. We're hardwired as humans to defend the status quo. I think that's a very quotable moment. You want to add one or two lines to that and then we'll move on in terms well, of automotive? It's, it's true. And it, it it's, uh, we've, we, uh, Organizations tend to put systems and policies and processes in place to, for good for good intentions, to maintain the status quo and to maintain what the important priorities of the day are, and that's why change is so difficult, and that's why there's so few organizations that last past 50 years. Is you're generally addressing the topics of the day when you put these policies, procedures, and systems in place, and so to to truly change, you need to. Uh, one needs to rip those systems out from the roots, and that can be a very expensive and daunting process. So I, I admire companies like a General Motors, like a Ford, uh, like a like a, a Fiat Chrysler that that are that are willing to to invest in these large systems such as SAP to really transform the way they go to market. Uh, it's not an inexpensive uh, transformation, but it's so worth it once it's done. Uh, but the systems aside, uh, the the real transformation takes place in their uh, in their staff and in their workforce. Thank you very much, John. Great insights about change. Every industry is facing it, and I, as I said, I think I said in my opening, automotive may be at the top of that list. So we appreciate your insights, Ellen Sassone. I know you want to talk to me, Ellen. I want to know where you are. I'd love to know what your favorite drink of the week or the year is. You've been on at least three or four shows with me already here in 2018. Always happy to have you back on a panel. And what are you excited about for the Best Practices for Automotive Conference coming up next month? And um, what are you doing these days? Talk to me, Ellen. Um, so black coffee, Starbucks, for sure, is my go-to. One time I was on, I was talking about Kirkland, because they talk about innovation. Uh, Costco had a, a like an alternative to Starbucks, which I did buy for a while, but I'm, I'm, I'm just back to the, the originator, in my view, of, of okay. strong black coffee. So Starbucks, black French roast. And then I'm in Detroit just a little oh. north of Detroit, which is okay. home. Um, but I have lived in major cities, which I think has really changed my perspective on, on transportation. And, and one thing I will say about Detroit, we still, and we probably always will, do not have major you know, congestion issues where you're in a car for two hours, right? So when I hear uh, six months ago, Bob Lutz, former chairman of GM, 
said the automobile has outlived its usefulness. And, and he's saying that because sitting in traffic for hours and hours doesn't work. I will say in Detroit, you still have the freedom to drive because most of the time you're not stuck in traffic. So I'm in Detroit. What I'm excited about with this conference is we have a lot of speakers, kind of traditional auto primarily, you know, some big suppliers. We have VW, John, John Grant, who we just talked to, is coming there by way of a VW presentation. We have speakers from Ford. We have speakers from GM. I mean, we have kind of traditional auto, Adiant, some big suppliers. But yet, within that whole world, there's all these innovative spaces where they are creating new businesses based on new technology, based on new relationships. And, and that is super exciting. But what I'm most excited about is the people, just the gathering of um, intellect that we're going to have in Detroit in a couple of weeks. So I like that. question. Oh, yeah, I like that a lot. The gathering of intellect, a very, very important point about getting getting smart people together to be smart about change. It may be savage, as John Grant said, but it's coming, it's happening, it's here, and who is going to drive the direction of that change may be the big question on the table. So, panelists, I've decided not to take a break because we're 31 after. We're already deep into our topic about automotive, what's happening, about the conference coming up. Uh, before I dive into some Discussion statement sent to me in advance by Chris Dambola at Thomson Reuters. I just want to ask, Ellen, I'll be working with you on the interviews we're doing remotely. Uh, have you decided uh, who you're go- we're going to be talking to? Any any plans I should know about because it's coming up in a couple weeks? My goal is, um, and certainly I'll invite Chris and John, but really all the speakers, mostly, and anyone that's on the agenda I'm reaching out to to ask if they'd like to be on SAP radio, but certainly we're open to the audience as well. I know there's, I know because I work for um, SAP, we have contingents of new customers, people that don't yet own and run SAP coming to this event. And so I, I, I may want to get one or two of those folks on just to hear, you know, what do they think? Because very few companies do the industry focus like we do. And, and I feel like that's, that's a real benefit to a customer. Talk about customer intimacy. You know, this is your industry. And when we say industry, it's so broad and vast also, which I'm hoping the conference will capture. So, Bonnie, I'm going to try to get a, a, a wide array of speakers, so different points of view, different problems they're solving. Good. That's what we want. We're going to be live streaming some of these interviews on the event channel here at World Talk Radio, the business channel. So we're excited about that. Thank you, Ellen. We'll be in touch. Now, Chris Dambola, I'm looking at your notes here, and let's pick something really interesting to talk about. Okay, um, let's talk about innovative cities because transportation, mobility, critical. Let me just read a little bit from your notes here, Chris, and then have you run with it, and then we'll see what John and Ellen have to add. You say, innovative cities will embrace ride-sharing, connected infrastructure, and similar changes. This will shift the balance between cities vying for companies, talent, and residents. And then you talk about shifting the balance between the traditionally funded programs like subways, buses, and cab services, and what's going to happen with privatization. There's a whole lot of stuff in these statements. Chris, why don't you start us off? What what do we mean by this? Sure. So I think, um, I think everybody's accepted at this point that urban areas are going to be where you see the biggest change, right? The lower levels of autonomous vehicles and 
more accessible sharing programs, whether it's an ownership sharing or whether it's an Uber style sharing, uh, you know, an on-demand app or something like that, uh, whether it's, you know, a, a cab service like Uber or Lyft or whether it's uh, more of a bus like Via, um, you know, there, there's so many of those different options, but how we get there, I think, is, is still undetermined because there's so much working against just allowing those things to exist. And it's, it's funny when you, when you string together all these little battles that you see across these different cities, uh, mm-hmm. being in New York City, you know, it's, uh, every day there's, there's a battle on it, right? There's uh, de Blasio wants to put um, you know, congestion taxation around certain areas of the city to you know, preserve neighborhoods where these services are trying to get around the, um, you know, the, the busier streets, so they're going down neighborhood streets. Um, you know, certainly the city bike uh, that, was, that was first in New York City and now is all over the place. Um, and where I think it's really getting interesting is in the scooter game because, you know, the, the bikes are great, but they, there's a little bit of an investment of space um, a big investment of space for, you know, putting those in. It, it takes up some some parking, so you're displacing, you know, like John was saying earlier in terms of resisting change. Folks who are used to parking, maybe they start thinking about the bike because they can't park there anymore, and that's where the bikes are. Um, and just this morning in the Wall Street Journal, there was an article about uh, the city bikes coming out with uh, an electric-assisted bike so that folks who maybe were against it because, they didn't want to get sweaty on their way to work. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you're still working, but it's, it's just enough of, of uh, an assist that you're not overworking. Uh, but in the scooter game, it's even smaller, right? So you get away from some of the size problems of the bikes, and I think, I think the scooters are going to be an interesting battle. Uh, maybe not battle as, as much as some of the other things like the bikes and, and rideshare programs. Um, but I, you know, I read a story a month or so ago, I think it was Nashville who rejected a, 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 or a, one of the scooter companies had already put them in place, but then the city rejected it um, because they hadn't filed appropriately. And then another city stepped up and said, oh, no, you can come here, you can come here, we'll take you, right? And, and I think the cities that are, are able to be more nimble and are open to it are going to just have open arms for these programs whether or not they're 100% um, efficient or thought out or what have you, they're going to test it. They're going to see how people like it, and people are going to respond well to that. Um, and, and that's going to drive the bigger changes uh, first at a much smaller scale. Thank you. Great insights, Chris, as always. John Grant, we'd love to have you comment, uh, agree or disagree, your point of view on what Chris just shared with us. Go ahead, John. Well, and just to build on it, I think I think the... The, the real challenge for industry is is meeting everyone meeting meeting the consumer on their own terms i mean chris mentioned scooters mentioned uh motorbikes you know i mean the, the ride sharing uh the next generation well and as well as the current generation have to have a have there there's a there's a need that each one of them embraces and so all of the above is where the challenge is going to be. How, how, do, how do cities, how do populations, uh, and not just domestically but globally, how do they, how do they all uh, get what they need and what they want? And that's, I think that's the challenge for, for uh, um, 
government organizations and, and certainly for the uh, uh, for the auto industry moving forward. Transportation is not a monolith. It's 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 multivariate, and and everyone's going to need to be a uh, uh, be provided a solution. Thank you very much, Ellen. Join us, please. Thoughts? Um, I just want to add on, I guess, both to Chris and John. If you look at the trends in urbanization, right, and that the something like eighty percent of the world population is going to live within eleven major cities. That those are some of the predictions out there. And you look at cities like London that are they. I guess they've invested over ten billion dollars in the last couple of years to make a certain part of the city kind of off limits. And maybe this goes back to Blasio in New York for cars like you pay a tax to bring your car into this area i think it's canary wharf and some of the newer sides of london but they're being very um determined and progressive in terms of making sure the city is livable for the citizens and that kind of echoes what john was saying i I think there's gonna be different solutions in different places but those cities i really believe this and, and we've seen it over time who make the investment to figure it out they're going to benefit because people are going to want to live there if, if they can move easily in it. I, I would even argue in New York, you know, everything's being experimented right now, but eventually they'll figure it out too because that emphasis, this last point, the public transportation in New York and this study I saw creates this environmental like bubble of healthiness in the middle of, like, the New York metro area of Connecticut and New Jersey. If you look mm-hmm. at New York and the emissions, and the, it's, there's, like, almost none. And that may also have to do with they don't manufacture in Manhattan anymore. But it, it, you can affect the environment in a huge way, too, with these decisions. So, Very interesting. Some more health benefits in there. Thank you very much. Uh, Chris, I'm going to move on to something from John Grant's discussion notes here. John, let's talk about generations. Um, You say a blended generational community of millennials, Gen X and Y and baby boomers with their multivariate ability and or willingness to embrace technology creates further challenges to innovation. So it sounds like you've got the bookends, I call them in here, John. You've got the millennials we all know are already into their mid-30s, so I think the lower end of the bookend would be the Y and the Xers, and then the baby boomers like me who just refuse to be quiet and go away anytime soon. So how is this challenging innovation in automotive? John, what's your point of view, please? Well, I I think that the companies that are able to manage that divide are the ones that are going to be most successful. And it kind of goes back to our last discussion. Um, there's there there Ellen mentioned you know the difference between uh, you know Detroit and and where she previously lived in New York City, in 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 Michigan, uh, wide open roads, people enjoy driving, uh, you know the middle America versus the the these these eleven major cities that we 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 may or may not see people. Uh, uh, gathering to uh, they, they have different needs and so the companies that organize or that 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 are able to manage those different uh consumer needs are the ones who are going to be most successful that's not an easy thing it's not necessarily just a generational divide too it's it's a, it's a societal divide and and mm-hmm. um so we we need to uh, we need to really focus on 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 how are we going to manage that there's there's very few companies that have taken 
deep technology and deep innovation and made that translatable to the consumer in simple ways. Uh, the auto industry struggles with that all the time. Uh, I can think of, of, of very few that are able to, to manage that. The ones that are able to do that and to speak to all generations and to speak to people that are, are willing to embrace technology versus those that are, uh, are, are resistant are the ones who are going to be most successful. And, and, and that's no easy task. And so that's where I think the, I think the jury is still out on, on the future direction. We hear a lot about in, in Detroit specifically about you know, autonomous and these things. I think the jury is still out on that. Do people embrace that? Do they embrace it on a large enough scale to where uh, the general population will support the business model and make it profitable? I'm not sure that we've, uh, we've um, really settled on a solution. I would agree with that. Let's see what Ellen has to say. She's sitting next to you, John, around the table, and then we'll go around to Chris. Ellen, agree or disagree with John about the the jury still out on this? What do you think? Um, I I do agree. One thing I was thinking while John was talking was customer segmentation, or maybe it's geographic segmentation, and, and maybe only targeting, you know, certain environments. You know, maybe that becomes even more important, like GM doesn't serve... And actually, I'm working with a small company called Rivian here in Detroit at Startup Auto. The CEO, his name's R.J. Skarinj, his philosophy is that we're going to have specific use case vehicles for specific situations. Like, you wouldn't drive your same car everywhere. You would use this car for this situation and this car for this situation. You know, getting back to, like, a ride-sharing, ride-leasing, kind of like GM, book by G, book by Cadillac, or... Maven, those ideas around segmentation, and maybe you can't be all things to all. You can't be all things to all people. That, that's what I was thinking while John was talking. This is true, Chris Dambola. Let's go around the table to you. What are your thoughts? I think it's hard to say for sure because so much is is changing, right? I, I think we know certainly millennials are a little harder to um, to pin down using traditional thought. I think what's exciting, though, is is the ability to kind of lean test some of these concepts and, and pay attention to how they work in different markets, uh, both from the consumer perspective as well as, as integrating the, the surrounding infrastructure. So back to the prior conversation, right, I think this is a natural extension of, of that last point. You know, when you talk about scooters and bikes and rideshare, um, and even back to what 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 are they fighting and are they fighting, right? And, and my point that they're fighting so many battles, I think there's just so much change happening and there's so much potential. Um, the, the automotive industry is at the, at the heart of the conversation and there's a lot of these tentacles to it. I think you just have to kind of pay attention to all of it and the, the larger automotives are going to have to be open to uh, this type of external innovation and lean testing to see what demographics respond better to to certain areas to know truly what they want and how to deliver it you know whether it's purpose-built vehicles or or some variation um uh, time will tell time will tell and time is ticking and let's go around to ellen i found something in here i like in your statements i don't think we've covered specifically yet but even if we have i'd like you to do a deeper dive you say competing in a software-driven world 
is a new world for automotive. How serious is this? Is it still new, Ellen? Is this still an OMG? We have to provide experiences and connection in the car. We have to deal with privacy. Who owns the data? What happens to it? How does it get into the car and out of the car? Software-driven world. Talk to me, Ellen. Well, I meant that more. You raise a great point on privacy and certainly mm-hmm. GDPR. And you can all go that. there and if you I want. I wasn't thinking that, actually. I was thinking okay. Speed. Uh, the speed of software development and the speed of, you know, the agility and the creativity, all the things you can do in the software world. So things like we, we, say we talk about digital twins and that there's a mirror of everything that's physical. It's now digital and you can experiment on the digital side. But the speed, the pace. It's never been here before. You know, I, I don't know how far back it goes. We, I started in telematics in 2003. So it's at least been 14 more or more 15 years of experimentation with software. But it does change. It changes who you have to hire. And I, I think uh, John made the point earlier, or, or, or Chris, one of you did, about the fight to hire people, right? The fight to to. to get the right infrastructure to enable your ideas, the speed at which you can experiment. That's what I meant. And, and I think for automakers, and I've thought a lot about this on this call, you still live in the mode one. We call it mode one. The world that exists today where you're making money, where cash flow is good, that's a make-to-order, make-to-stock business model where you then do incentives to get dealers to move cars to consume. That world absolutely is still going to exist because money's made there. But you also have to be over in mode two, which I would argue is the software world, different models, different business ideas and technology, enablement, enabling in a different way. You have to do both right now. And that's my idea about the faith. Like, you're forced to do both. You got to make money the old way and then you got to try in the new way. And that's the speed of software to, to, to be in this new world of mode two. So thank you, Alan. Yeah, it does. I'd love for you to touch on the privacy issue. We have just a few minutes to go around the table, but if you just touch on that since I brought it up, and then we'll find out what Chris and John think about that as well. Go ahead, Ellen. I I know there's regulation. You know, GDPR was originated in Europe, and then everybody's in in everybody in the EU. Everyone has has tried to figure out a way to get their consumers aware of you know signing the privacy statement and all that. I don't know if there is privacy anymore. I mean, I don't even know if that's possible, given a world with cyber um, security attacks, the things we've seen with, you know, rigging, not rigging, but affecting our election. Just Is there such a thing as privacy anymore, really? That, that would be my question in a so, general way. So the question is, with data flowing in and out of the car for our so-called convenience and our exciting, delightful experiences, are people really aware that they are sharing data? Let's go around the table. Chris Dambola, thoughts on anything or everything Ellen just shared with us? Go ahead. Yeah, I certainly have thoughts on everything. Um, Good. Also, being from a software company, right, I'm, I'm yes. certainly in in the middle of that GDPR conversation. Um and it, it's a complex one, and, and in many ways it's a double-edged sword because it's good that uh, society cares about data privacy and, and we want to hold our, our vendors um, responsible for what they do with our data and we want them to act responsibly in how they conduct their business. Um, but, but at the same time, for as fast as technology is moving, and, and we've said it a hundred times on this call, um, I think it's kind of forcing some unrealistic expectations in how global vendors can actually satisfy these requirements, you know, with, with each of, of these countries that are looking into 
regulation, whether it's GDPR, whether I have to say it, right, because uh, I'm a tax guy, whether it's, it's, it's uh, tax regimes um, and, and filing, like digital filing, um, the requirements are so different and vast that it, it becomes a challenge for global software vendors to meet that, to enable their businesses to conduct the business that they want to conduct globally. Um, right. I mean, even just look to within the states where you've got the emissions battle and then California wants to be different and it's great that they want to be better, but then you've got two different standards. Well, multiply that across the world with data standards. Um, it's, it's very complex. Very complex. And we have just enough time before we go into our com- hopefully not too complex predictions round for a, a John Grant at MTG. John, thoughts on privacy, software and cars? I can give you about a minute and a half. Go ahead. Just building on on, uh, the comments on the speed of technology and software and and how that manifests itself, Uh, it it manifests itself in what consumers are delivered in their automobile. Uh, And and, and to me, there's always a question of can versus should. And I, you know, in my past life of working for a major auto, it it was always that question. There's all sorts of technology you could put into a vehicle and that they can put into a vehicle. It's just a measure. It's, it's, it's a matter of whether or not they should, because does the consumer really want it? I, I, you know, just my own personal experience, having purchased a new vehicle uh, just very recently, Mm-hmm. Um, the assumption by the manufacturer was that I wanted to be interactive with that vehicle nearly 24-7, whether it's through apps, whether it's through dealers contacting me, whether it's through um, various over-the-air technologies. And, and those assumptions, in my case, were wrong. Um, I don't want that. And so I think there's, there's this the speed of technology needs to meet the consumer at their own pace and and. And that's how change will, will, will take place. But that's a, that's a difficult thing to manage uh, if you're a major manufacturer that is trying to serve the general population. Because scalability uh, equals profitability. The pace of what the customer wants. Very, very inter- insightful. Thank you, John. Chris Ball, I hope you're ready. 60 seconds for each of you around the table. Let's find out what you predict. You can predict something you're going to hear, see, or learn about at Best Practices for Automotive coming up in a couple weeks in Detroit, or you can talk a little farther out on the future of automotive. Chris, I'll leave it up to you. 60 seconds. Go. I don't want to predict what I'm going to hear at best practices because I want to go into it with a totally blank mind and absorb it all. So my prediction is more that uh, (laughs) I I think that there's going to be so much disruption through scooters and bikes and ride shares that um, traditional government funded programs like cab services and even rail services are going to uh, fall. And then uh, you're going to see this massive privatization of, of mobility and then governments can be able to spend that uh, in betterment uh, for their societies, and it's going to end up better for everyone all around. Thank you very much. Better for everyone all around. Wouldn't it be lovely? That's all I can mm. say. I, I know there's a song in there somewhere, and Aretha would be singing, <laughs> think, right? Think. Yep. Thank you. That was a, as soon as I saw that you picked lyrics by Aretha, and I didn't know she had written that one, uh, that the Blues Brothers had performed it, I, the tears were rolling down my cheeks. Thank you so much, Chris. John Grant, MTG, I have 60 seconds with your name on them. Go ahead and predict, please. I'm loath to make predictions because I'm so very rarely correct. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I, I, 
I'd, I'd, I'd rather focus on what's coming up at best practices for automotive. Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to, to see the future direction of, of SAP, of, of how they interact with the autos, of, of the, the, the major suppliers that will be there. And, and um, particularly excited to, if I can give my own uh, a colleague a plug to, to hear uh, yes. um, Kelly Stalkup and Shannon Finn Connell speak about design thinking. I think that's going to sure. be a real uh, interesting topic. And, and then some, some old colleagues from General Motors, Dan Malabashian and Otto Shell, speaking about change management. Um, I've worked with them in the past, and, and I know they're going to provide great insight. So I'm, I'm looking forward to all of those things. Wonderful. Good. And I hope I will get the opportunity to speak with you when I'm doing the remote interviews there. So be sure to get on the dance card. Okay, John, looking forward to that. Love to talk to you again. Thank you. Ellen Sassone, I know you're so busy working on the event. Ellen, what do you predict? I can, oh my goodness, Ellen, Chris and John were so concise. I can give you 90 seconds for your prediction. So go for it. (laughs) All right. Hopefully I won't bore everybody with, I got two predictions. Never. Um, related to the um, best practice auto, I predict that there will be some, and I know this sounds Pollyannish, but some really nice relationships built at that event. And I personally want to know more about, for instance, Kelly Stalkup, who's working with John. How is Volkswagen approaching design thinking, and as, especially as it relates to SAP inside of a big company like VW that's trying to move away from product-centric world to a customer-centric world. Those are massive moves. So I'm looking forward to the presentation, but also just meeting and hearing people's stories and experiences with SAP and auto. That's my first prediction. Good relationships will come from that. My second prediction, and this is um, my wish, I guess, like my aspiration for this world, I would like to see more public transportation in cities because I think it's such a joy and a pleasure and it makes sense for the environment. So public transportation coupled with some sort of ride sharing for that last mile is what I predict and hope will be the future. More more trains. I love the train. So. I know. I know. I don't get to take the train anymore here in Durham. I have to tell you, it is amazing that the average speed I have to do on the roads here is between 75 and 80. You have to. And, and my GPS in the car, it's a 2015, and I'm not going to upgrade the software. So it says 65. Those roads are all 70 now. Nobody's doing 70. That's why I had to get another car to be able to feel safe doing 80. We don't do that in New York on Long Island. What can I tell you? Ellen Sassone, thank you so much. Chris Dambola, John Grant, such a pleasure speaking with the three of you. I know I'll be talking with you again in a couple of weeks. We're just about out of time. I want to do a shout out to Miranda LeBate at SAP who worked so hard putting this show together and Judy Kubis as well. We did it. I told you we'd get great topics to talk about today and we did. Thanks to our three very, very smart panelists. You're all so engaged in what you do and very appreciated. So I'm going to do my call to action here. First, I'm going to do a shout out and thank you to our venerable esteemed and indomitable engineer at World Talk Radio, Aaron. He's very young but he still gets the venerable tag from me. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt 
about how appropriate we're talking about cars. I do that on all the shows, John. It's always fasten your seatbelt. That's why I get a kick out of saying it on this show. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Chris Dambola at Thomson Reuters, definitely just like John Grant at MTG Partners, and of course, just like Ellen Sassone, a woman in automotive. Woohoo! Everybody have a great day. I'll be back in one hour with a brand new show. We're debuting Changing the Game with Intelligent Technologies, and we're going to be talking about tax and tax technology for companies all over the world. The rules are changing. Get with the program. Bonnie DeGram signing off. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.